Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 224. Well, my personal motto has always been everything in excess, nothing in moderation. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited to introduce a very special and unique guest, Gary Wales. Gary, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Oh boy, am I. Let's go for it. (laughs) All right. Gary Wales, the Prince of Wales, is a collector, a builder, a dreamer, and automotive expert. He's been involved with the Rolls-Royce and Bentley Club for many years, participating in tours, Concours events, and more. Gary's well known for taking old derelict vehicles and building period customs, recreations of magnificent stature. He's restored Concours winning cars, including Pebble Beach Award winners, and lately, he's built the magnificent Le Bistioni, affectionately known as Rusty Two. It's the seventh in a series of custom-built coachworks where he uses American-built vehicles and builds some really unique works of art around those frames. He's one of the most unique and kindest people I've known, and he's very well-respected in the automotive world by collectors and builders alike. Gary, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little more about your history, your career, your interests, and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Certainly, Mark. Well, back in the early 60s, I, after getting out of the military, I was in special service. I was a singer. I went into the brokerage business and in Detroit, Michigan. And, of course, being from Detroit, we were really heavy into cars all the time. It was just everybody had something going on. Of course, the big three were there, and it was an exciting time, and I really enjoyed it a heck of a lot. Gary, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, Gary, take the wheel. Okay. Well, my personal motto has always been everything in excess, nothing in moderation. And <laughs> kind of got the nickname of Gary Schwales, which when you see my cars, you'll understand why. I I don't drop a point on them if I have to, if I can. But again, what I personally feel, though, is I try to take, my motto is to I try to take the best and make it better. And if it doesn't exist... 
I design and make it. <laughs> that sounds a lot like a quote by Mr. Royce. I paraphrase and I copied him because I certainly emulate and, and, and love what they have done. And I'm being, basically, I'm a Rolls-Royce Bentley guy, how I started out. And I've been that way for an awful lot of years. Yeah, absolutely. Well, would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? You've been a car guy, as you said, for an awful lot of years. Is there a pivotal moment you can remember in your life when you really knew you were a car guy? I can give you the exact second. I had been set up for a blind date. Well, at that time in the Army, I was in special services when I, when I was in the Army, and I was a singer. So I took this lovely lady, and we drove down to the Bablo boat, the St. Clair River, and we were, I was singing, and we had our just a terrific time. And, you know, I was really impressing this gal. And that night, of course, I drank too much. <laughs> and on the way home, I crashed the car. Oh, no. Oh, uh, no. That really impressed her. you got to imagine that. So that night, coming home on the bus from the hospital, I really was embarrassed, and I was kind of trying to blame it kind of on the car, and I said, well, what I really need to do is to get something that, that handles a little bit better than that big old Buick. And she says, oh, she says, I know exactly where something is. She says, uh, I'll pick you up in the morning. Okay. That morning she picks me up, and we're all banged up and banished and everything, and we pull in front of this house, and here is a fellow, and I'll never forget it. It's a visual that just sticks in my mind. He was wearing an Air Force jumpsuit, one of those kind of a grayish, greenish things, and he's polishing the bonnet on a fire engine red Allard L4, Ooh. the Granatelli Hemi engine. I fell in love with that car that instant. I also fell in love with a woman. <laughs> he had a car for 10 years. I was married to the woman. She just passed recently for 50. And I got to tell you, it was the best time of my entire life. She was the car person. I was not the car person. I had no interest in cars up until that time. They were just transportation. And boy, after I got with her, that changed radically. And uh, I became everything, again, my motto, everything in excess, nothing in moderation. If you have one, that's great. It's like in collecting. Two, that's the beginning. Three, you're hooked, you're done. <laughs> Wonderful story. I love that story. Great. Gary, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood, get our hands a little dirty, as I say, something you're certainly not afraid of doing, sure. and ask you to share a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced in your life or your career. The most important part of this question has to do with how did you overcome that and what did you learn from it? Well, truthfully, I really have never had any major problems, and I attribute that to marrying the right lady. <laughs> Lucky and guy. she was 100% for everything I did and backed my, my act the whole way. And it, it's been a wonderful run. And yeah. I've been a very fortunate guy to have a, a woman that absolutely loved the motor cars as much or more than I did and would back everything that I wanted to do. And she always there behind me. And that was, that's important. Well, absolutely. 
Well, maybe you could think of, you know, when you build these creations, and they are works of art, these creations, there's got to be some challenges you run up against. And maybe if you can share with our audience an example, maybe, of something that you run up against, because you're finding cars that have been out in fields, rusted away to nothing, and you're bringing them back to life. There has got to be a couple challenges with confronting something like that. Is there something in particular you might be able to share with our audience that they could learn from about the challenges of bringing bringing a car back to life and what that has to do? Yeah, I, I, I certainly can. Why I like and chose the American LaFrance fire engine as the, the bones and the basis for my builds were that they're, first of all, they're American-made and they were made at a time, and I specialize in the ones that are made pre-1930. Most of them are in the 20s and the teens. The current one is 1915. It's 100 years old. The last one was... 98 years old. Wow. And they were so well built and designed that you can't kill them. And as that's evidenced by them sitting in fields and open areas for 50 and 60 years. And with not a whole tremendous amount of effort, we are able to get these 14 liter, six cylinder, 900 cubic inches running. If the pieces are there, we can make them run. And it's absolutely amazing. And I've always been, I love the big things. Bigger (laughs) is better. And they're larger than life, and they're a lot of fun. Now, they were built with uh, lots of silicon bronze and aluminum when back at the turn of the century, which was very rare metal at that time. Not many things were built with that. And they have the starter. They have magnetos. They have distributors. Now, the one I'm working, finishing right now Literally, you can imagine 14 liters, 900 cubic inches. You can imagine what it sounds like. <laughs> it's just absolutely incredible. It has six cylinders, each pistons the size of a two-pound coffee can. Whoa. I mean, it is really big. We have four plugs per cylinder, two each uh, operating two from the magneto and two from the distributor. These were, were life-saving vehicles, so they had to run. Yeah. And in those days, the gas was kind of lousy, and, and the batteries were even worse, you can imagine. So you can crank, hand crank them, thank God I don't have to, and <laughs> never have. I just press the button, and with the new gasolines and, and the proper lubrication in that, it just goes. By the way, they take about, when you first fill them up, the engine takes two cases of oil. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Well, with these vehicles, I would think parts become a huge challenge. Do you build the parts? Do you, where do you source parts for, for a 100-year-old fire engine? Well, I've had enough of them now. We've, as I said, I've built seven, and we just recently found one. Just for instance, we just recently found one in Sacramento, and a couple old firemen found it out in the woods. They had to cut 21 trees down that had grown through it and around it. Oh, my gosh. God knows how long it's been there. And then when they were they got it, they went, now what the hell do we do with it? <laughs> <laughs> Give it to you know, Gary. Said, oh, we know. Call Gary Wales. He'll buy it. <laughs> well, guess what? <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just fantastic. And, and you know, we're going to uh, obviously provide some links to our guests because I'm sure some of our listeners right now are going, I'm, I'm trying to imagine, what are they talking about? Uh, how magnificent. But we'll get to that. But I love... I'd like to shift gears here a little bit and go to the other end of the spectrum and ask you to share one of those aha moments in this, the travels through your life here, a time when the headlights came on and illuminated a way for you to 
a new idea or a direction. And tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into your success. Well, I've always had a lot of fun and, and some moderate success throughout my whole career with uh, Rolls-Royce and Bentley. But the real fun began when I had I, I'd seen someone had built a, a special, and, and I was very, very impressed with it. And my favorite car in the whole wide world is the Beast of Turin, which was a 1910 Fiat called an S76, S76. And it was 28 and a half liters, four-cylinder. Whoa. I mean, it is the most awesome piece you have ever seen in your life. And here's a car that they, driven by Felice Nazaro, who at the time was the, the premier driver of the very heroic early days of, of racing. And that car... They ran it, and it, uh, it, it did 130 miles an hour at one time uh, in the United States, uh, but it was an unofficial record because they couldn't get back. But this was at a time when uh, there were no brakes. The steering was lousy. I mean, you can imagine what it took, the guts that it took, and these guys were little guys. And to drive something like that with no steering, power steering or brakes or anything else hardly, to do that it just impressed me so much, and I wanted to emulate that. And it's, I, these cars have been my salute to the great racing cars of the heroic age. Ah. And the best platform I ever found, a uh, chap had this old chassis, and I looked at it, and I said, my God, it's chain drive, which I just love because it's so unusual. Nobody sees it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I found this, and I said, okay, we made a trade. It ended up being mine. Now I'm going to build something. Well, I wanted to emulate the Beast of Turin. And basically, that's what I have been doing, building these great giant race cars, because when you go to a show, it shows people there's more to it than just sticking in a key, pressing a button, go zoom, zoom, and anybody can drive. Yeah. No, no, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it yes. takes strength. It takes forethought. And it's so much fun to see the look on people's face when you pull in with one of my monster beasts. It's just, it's just a gas. And I can build them the way I want in my mind's eye. When I have a problem, I go to bed with that problem. And it seems by in the morning my mind has worked on that and I come up with the solution. Cool. Yeah. That, that's always worked for me. So if you do have a problem with something – Think about it, but then go to bed with it on your mind, and your mind will continue to to function on this particular problem, yeah. and generally you'll come up with the answer and the correct one when you wake up. Yeah, it's a great piece of advice. I understand that completely. And for those of you who don't know about the Beast of Turin, Google it. This thing is is a beast, and there's a wonderful video that came out, I believe it was last year or so, of the firing up of that vehicle that is just going to blow you away. And there's some wonderful pictures. You talk about big pistons. The pistons in that thing are the size of waste cans under your desk. It's, uh, yeah, magnificent inspiration, the Beast of Turin. I love it. How about proudest moments? I'm sure you've had so many in your, your life with all these vehicles, but is there one in particular that stands out that you could share with us? Well, there's actually, there's several of them that I, you know, Obviously, the Allard that I bought, that really got me into automobiles. Mm -hmm. Renee Bentley was a very pivotal moment. That, was, that happens to be probably one of my favorite things in the whole world because we were able, I had the car for 26. 
seven years. Wow. I'd gotten it from Lauren Tryon, the impresario puts on Pebble Beach, and we had traded for a Fogoni Falashi Talbot Lago, which had I had found in Watts in Los Angeles, and it it had been there for 40-some-odd years, and it was in pieces. It had been one of the six original Talbot Lagos that were the swan song of the company in 47. They had been sent to New York to the Great Auto Show, and the gentleman who was the Cadillac dealer west of the Mississippi had bought them all. Mm. And this particular one, he decided, well, he didn't like the little colorful gearbox or anything, so he, being a Cadillac dealer in 1947, he put a brand-new Cadillac engine and a drivetrain in it and the Cadillac lights on the back and everything else. And anyhow, he used that car for quite a while, then sold it, and it ended up in Watts, finally. Hmm. And we found it. I heard about it, and I found the car. When I first saw it, I said, oh, I don't want this thing. It's too much work. And then I looked, and I said, what am I, out of my mind? This is a Fagoni Falashi. Yeah. And paid nothing for it, basically. Brought it home, redid it, finished it, put a Gucci interior in it, and grabbed my friend who was the upholsterer and his wife and my wife, and we took off for Pebble Beach. Well, we're putting down there, and outside of Santa Barbara, gee, I got a flat tire. And I went, ah, this is horrible because I, my friends had said, you can do anything you want with that car, but do not touch the brakes. You have a, a specialist, a real person that knows what he's doing. Do that. And, of course, I couldn't do tires, so I'd gone to Barani in Santa Monica. Uh-huh. And he did all the new wires, wheels, and everything else on it. Anyhow, he had pounded, just put 200-mile-an-hour tape around the spokes when he'd cut them off, when he put, a, put, the, put them together. Thirteen flats later, we got (laughs) going into Carmel, and then I put my foot on the brake. We were doing about 20 miles an hour, and I put my foot on the brake, and the man who had adjusted the brakes had put it right to the the pivot point, right to the very end, and it had slipped off, and I had no brakes. So at that point, we're going 20 miles an hour down 68, I leap out on one side, my friend Little John on the other, and we pull the car, <laughs> burn the shoes off, all the leather off our shoes. Oh my Finally gosh. got the thing pulled over the side of the road. Oh, jeez. And that was my introduction to to the uh, Pebble Beach and with my Fagoni Talbot. Oh. So that Saturday, we went down to the racetrack, and we were down there having a great time getting a lot of attention when Lauren Tryon who, again, was the episode for Pebble Beach, would come down to the racetrack and pick up a specific car just to have it on display at Pebble Beach just that the next day. And yeah. We have to be the lucky choice. He gave us the catbird seat. And we're sitting up there just having that time of our life, and all the people are going, what the hell are they doing up there <laughs> with that thing? Because I had a Gucci interior in it wow. with a big red and green stripe and the biscuit interior leather. And it was electric blue, and it had the Cadillac engine and all these things, you know. And that is not a Pebble Beach type of car. Not quite. So anyway, we had a good time. And then Lauren came to me later and said, I'd really like to get that car. And he says, I know you're a Bentley guy. And he said, I happen to have one that you might really like. And I said, well, what's that? He said, well, it's a Frenet Bentley, and it's a very exotic car. And I've been having it 
try to get it restored. I bought it from Sergio Frankie, the singer, and he said, I've been trying to get the thing restored, and it's just it's not going very well. And would you be interested in the trade? Oh. Well, I, was I interested? Well, anyhow, we traded. He created the exotic French car class that's so popular at Pebble Beach, so he could put this car in it the next year. Then they found a, a correct engine, and that redid it. It's been back again. Mm. So, anyhow... I had the Frenet, so for 10 years, I, that car sat in my backyard, and a tree grew through it, which, <laughs> while I was researching the bits and the pieces and everything. Finally, I got everything going. Anyhow, we restored the car, and in 91, took it back to Pebble Beach. Well, nobody had seen it at all and knew anything about it. And when we were there, it was just absolutely a sensation. Yep. And we won, this is in 91, we won the class, then we won the French Cup, then we were up for best to show. And I was so excited, I, I couldn't even believe it. Then Mr. Tryon got up and announced, not once, not twice, but three times, that I had missed best to show by the smallest margin in the history of Pebble Beach. Oh, and, oh God, I was, uh, my, my, I was crushed. Yeah. And the people were going, well, that isn't fair. And he came up to me and he said, Gary, he said, you really did win. He said, there's no question about that. Most exotic car on the field. And people loved it. He said, but on our watch, that's he and Jules Huben, the co-director with him, said, we can't put a post-war car on until there's really not anything left of the pre-wars because they always will get the nod because of age and what they are. Yeah. And I understood that. Yeah. And it didn't get a post-war car until last year when a Ferrari finally won it, and that's 24 years later. Wow. You know what's so cool about this story, and Gary and I had a little talk before we uh, did this show, I saw that car 24 years ago on the lawn at Pebble Beach. First year I went to Pebble Beach, and I remember now that we are talking, I met Gary. He told me all about the car, the frog skin seats that were in the car. Yes, I said frog skin. Absolutely phenomenal car. Just incredible. And <laughs> I can see why it encompasses so many of your proudest moments. Let's have a little bit of fun here. And maybe you already answered this question. What was your first really special car? You talked about that Allard, but if that's it, could you share maybe another memory you had with that vehicle? Well, that was the car that really got me into the in, into automobiles, mm -hmm. and my wife loved it. I loved it. We had a heck of a time with it. We uh, entered it in the 1962 uh, Motorama at Cobo Hall. We took a second place, which really got me fired up, and then I spent the next several months redoing all sorts of things on it and, and things that you normally wouldn't do, not an experienced restorer would do because I wasn't. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. So we did them, and we were invited to the Dearborn uh, Museum, Henry Ford Museum, uh, uh, I think it was Autos on Parade, and put into a, a lovely spot, and we had it there for several days, and uh, that really got me fired up. Yeah. Yeah. I have one little story I want to tell you that just it, I just remembered this, and this, this happened when I was a young lad. I was about 12 years old, and I had gone to Greenfield Village with a, a group of people, and they were having, at that, coincidentally, the Rolls-Royce Owners Club was having their, their little national meet there. And I saw this one car that was just so cool. It was an old Rolls convertible, 
And I was standing around looking at it, gawking, not knowing what the hell I was looking at, other than I just loved it and I thought it was so cool. And this nice old gentleman came over, must have been all of 40 years old. He said, uh, you like this car, son? I said, I sure do. And he said, would you like to know about it? I said, wow, what I hear. Here's this guy going to take the time to talk to this dummy that knows nothing about it, that's going to do him no good whatsoever. And he spent the time and spent about 15 minutes with me. Mm-hmm. And when we were all done, he introduced himself, and his name was Jack Frost. <laughs> and how can you forget a name like Jack Frost? Yes. <laughs> now fast forward 30 years later. Mr. Frost was one of the old line early members of the Rolls-Royce Owners Club. He really is the guy that instantly sparked my interest in automobiles that went dormant until I met my wife, but he was the guy that did it. So what I would like to say to everybody out there, when you are showing your car, get out and talk to the people. Don't sit back in a lawn chair and think, "Eh, I'll just let the people do it. Talk to them. You're going to learn a lot. And if you see somebody, a young person, talk to them because... That may be the difference in their entire life from being a success or not being a success for being a car guy, car girl, or not being a car guy, car girl. So this is a really important thing to do. It Talk is. to people, and especially the younger people, because we need them and we need their interest in there. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice and uh, so, so important to do for sure. I appreciate you sharing all that. Jack Frost, that's wonderful. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've owned, that you've let go, that you really wish you had back in the garage? Most of Most them. Most of them. <laughs> tell you the truth. Yeah. But I have, a, I have a philosophy that when I design or build or restore a car, it'll always be my car, no matter who has the, the taste or the money to buy it. Yeah. It'll always be my car, so I don't mind seeing them go. You can't keep them all. There's a few that I wish the hell I had. If I had made a replica of the Blue Train Special Wolf Bernardo car, and I had done it a little differently than everybody else, I supercharged it in the front. I had a big elephant blower in the front. We did this in England, Bob Peterson uh, and I. It was a wonderful car. It was all inlaid with mother of pearl and silver instead of, it was just a two-passenger giant coupe, six and a half liters, and I had two bars in it, one for the driver, one for the passenger, one had single malt for the driver and blend for the, for the passenger. I just did every crazy thing we could do to it. That one, and then we built the Bentley Royale, and that was with Kent Fuller, and he's the gentleman that, in hot rod circles, he's a three- or four-time Hall of Famer. He's the one that built the uh, Ivo Four Buick car. So we put together two Phantom 4 straight 8 engines to have a 16-cylinder car with twin engines that counter-rotated. And uh, it's still out there. (laughs) That is wild. Very cool. How about current projects? Is there something you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Yeah, well, I've just, my, always my current projects are my favorite cars, I have to say that. And when they're done, they're done. But this one, we are just now finishing it this very minute. We a uh, little bit more wiring to do. It's off to the upholsterer today for the carpeting. That's the only thing we don't do in-house is the carpeting mm-hmm. and the actual seat back and seat bottom. Everything else we do. Wow. And love you to have to see the things. And that's just, if you just go Yahoo Google, just go Gary Wales cars, you will 
see pages and pages of all these different roses and Bentleys and yep. beasts and different things that we've done. Uh, also, I'm on Facebook, Gary L. Wales, and yeah. please join us, and, and uh, any comments are always welcome. Any suggestions are always good, and if you think you know something that I don't about the car that I could make it a little better, I'll certainly steal your idea. It's <laughs> <laughs> mine. Wonderful. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Gary, and I can't wait to hear the answer to this, given the kind of vehicles that you build. If you were a car... What kind of car would Gary be and why? Oh, boy. Now, that is a real, <laughs> real. <laughs> yes. Introspective question. Yes, it sure is. I got to think about that for a couple seconds. Boy. Well, I'm so enamored with the Beast of Turin because that was a, such a pivotal car in my lifetime also, you know, the finding of that. And, and that really inspired me to do so many things. I, I love that car. Right. Uh, I just, I can't, every time I see it, I just get excited as heck. And they, they, they really just put one together from bits and pieces from two cars. Mm -hmm. And that, that's the one that's in England right now. And I, about 50 people sent it, sent it to me, knowing my interest in it. And Oh my God, you got to go and see the Beast of Turin and listen to it. It's just unbelievable. Is is that the one that they've uh, recently released the video starting that thing up? Yeah, the red one. That's the Beast of Turin, where the radiator, the top of the radiator, is five feet tall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was fantastic. Built from a very early old passenger uh, uh, frame, and then they put this giant dirigible engine in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's a great choice for you, Gary, knowing you as I do. Gary is the beast of Turin. I can see that. I think that works quite well. <laughs> it's fantastic. One thing I'm proud of uh, is that we sold the Frenet Bentley. I sold four cars at Barrett-Jackson in 2006, and the Frenet being the premier car. And we set, when it sold, it brought the highest price ever paid for a post-war Bentley or Rolls in the history of the world. And since that time, for the current owner, one of the current owners, I uh, got up and did the monologue and helped him on that. It brought another million on top of that. It's, so it has held the highest price post-war rules or Bentley for the last nine years. Wow. And I'm kind of proud of that, to tell you the truth. I would think so. Fantastic. That was a big deal in my life. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So, Gary, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, here's a little something for the Cars Yeah listeners. Carpe Viem. Seize the road. It's the motto at CarpeGear.com, where you'll find the Little Red Racing Car, an award-winning book written and illustrated by passionate car guy Dwight Knowlton. It's a spectacular way to introduce children to the love of cars. It's an international award winner, and Yahoo Autos calls it the best kid's book ever. Plus, it's printed in the USA. I may be an adult, but this kid loves the Little Red Racing Car. Dwight is finishing a second book in collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss about the story of his record-breaking win of the 1955 Mille Miglia. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand, where you can find his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize-the-road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Viem at CarpeGear.com, and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're there. That's CarpeGear.com, C-A-R-P-E, Gear.com. All right, Gary, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And this is where I'm going to ask you to give us some quick blips of the throttle answers, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions. So are you ready? Sure. What's the best 
automotive advice you've ever received. Do what you like and like what you do. (laughs) Very important. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Stay with your project. Never give up. Never stop. Just keep going and go to bed and think about any little problems and you'll come up with it in the next day or two. (laughs) That's my advice to everybody. Perfect. Do you have a resource that you're really fond of that you'd like to share with the Cars Yeah listeners? I know there are many, many, many resources out there these days, but is there one in particular you think they would enjoy? Yeah, I really do, and it's going to save them a ton of work, and it's going to make their cars look absolutely beautiful. A very dear man and a friend of mine has, I think, the best product in the world, and that's Barry McGuire. Ah, and yes. he has a thing that's NXT, and it's a Texwax 2.0. Now, of all the things that I do, building cars, my least favorite is cleaning the damn thing. <laughs> this is not my deal. Yeah. My deal is making them, not cleaning them. Yeah. And I got to tell you that the uh, Tech Wax 2.0, you wipe it on, you wipe it off, and it's done, and it's perfect. And I've, I've tried everything. I've, had, I've even had a wax made for my car that they, they called Vintage that they sell for $1,500 for a little cask of it. And with that, of course, they refill it for the rest of your life. But you spend days with Carnaba Wax doing it. Tech Wax, wipe it on, wipe it off, slick as you'll ever get. And believe me, I'm saving you so much work. Do it. And besides, McGuire's are just wonderful people and have been in the business for 100 years. Yes, absolutely. And uh Barry's been a guest here on Cars Yeah, wonderful man and a great guy. So uh, if you want to enjoy another great show here on Cars Yeah, check out Barry McGuire's show. Gary, is there a book that you think the Cars Yeah listeners would really enjoy reading? Absolutely. I uh, did the Michigan 1000 several years ago, and one of the guys there was uh, Robert A. Lutz, and he was the former president and vice chairman of Chrysler Corporation. Just an absolutely unbelievable man just an unbelievable fella, and he wrote a book called Gut, mm. and we, we, I was talking with him, I was driving a, my blower Bentley at the time, and he was in a, in a Cunningham, and I stayed on his butt during this, this run, and he knew darn well I didn't have any brakes <laughs> worth the darn on this blower Bentley, and he kept right ahead of me, <laughs> I pushed him the whole way, we finally got in, he came over and, and introduced himself, and I was thrilled, because I knew who he was. Yeah. You know, Lutz, anyhow, he has Lutz Law, which I just think is absolutely unbelievable. This guy stands alone, believe me. The customer is not always right. The primary purpose of business is not to make money. Where everybody else is doing it, don't. Too much quality can ruin you. Financial controls are bad. Disruptive people are an asset. And teamwork always isn't good. And let me tell you, he is, they broke the mold with this guy. He is absolutely fantastic, and I could not recommend a book better, higher than Guts, G-U-T-S, by Bob Lutz. Fantastic. Yes, very, very uh, important guy in the automotive history here um, for America, and a uh, wonderful gentleman. Fantastic. I love it. I'll remind our listeners, you can find all these links and resources at carsyeah.com slash Gary Wales. And the Prince of Wales spells his last name W-A-L-E-S. All right, Gary, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy for a car guy like you. If you could have only one 
collector car in your garage. But don't worry about the cost because today I'm going to buy you whatever you'd like. What would that one vehicle be and why? <laughs> they have to be the Beast of Turin. <laughs> the Beast of Turin. Oh, my goodness. You know, we've talked about that car so much here in this show. If you had to answer this question, what is the one thing about the Beast of Turin that just pulls on your heartstrings? That old baby is just so big and so loud, and it was so, it, it's just the most magnificent thing. It's, I guarantee you, wherever it goes, it steals everybody's thunder. Yeah. Zero. Not anybody can touch it. I mean, it, it, it is just the car, and it makes you feel good, and the, feel the power. It shakes the ground. Please go online and get the beast of Turin and watch them when they light this up. It shakes the earth, boy. If you've ever been in an earthquake, and I have in California, believe me, this is about as close as you're going to get if you're anywhere near it. Fantastic. I love it. Gary, you've taken me on a great ride today, and I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed talking with you. I want to thank you for sharing your stories and your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in the Beast of Turin? Just do what you enjoy and enjoy what you do. You're only going to go around one time, so make it as pleasant and informative as you possibly can. Talk yeah. to the kids. Let's get them back into the get them into cars. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, that's great advice. And again, listeners, you can find everything that Gary has shared with us today at carsyad.com. Just type Gary into the search box and his show notes page will pop right up. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your cars? Well, there's several ways. One, uh, if you go to Facebook, and I invite everybody, please join us on Facebook. You can see us while we're doing the bills, what we're doing, how we're doing them, and some of the other things. Uh, And that's Gary L. Wales, W-A-L-E-S, uh, that's Facebook. Then my my uh, website is ebentley.com, ebentley.com. And then again, just Yahoo or Google Gary Wales Cars. And believe me, you'll find a lot. Or you can even go La Bestioni and they'll come up. L-A capital B-E-S-T-I-O-N-I. Perfect. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, you'll find all these links at Cars. Yeah, Gary, thank you so much for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and, and for sharing your experiences in your life with the Cars Yeah listeners and with me. It's been awesome. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.